welcome to the latest episode of the Green Left News podcast. I'm your host, Isaac Nellis, speaking from unceded Gadigal Wangal land, and this week I'm joined by refugee rights activist Chloe, and we'll be taking you through the latest activist news from Australia and around the world. Hey Isaac, I'm speaking from the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung land, and if listeners haven't heard of Green Left, it is media powered by the people, and we've been running for more than 30 years. We centre the voices of activists and provide an alternative to corporate news media. You can become a supporter today for only $5 a month at greenleft.org.au forward slash support. Before we begin, we acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on stolen land that has never been ceded and always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Green Left is committed to supporting struggles for First Nations justice. Campaigners rallied to save the climate for World Environment Day in various cities across the country, demanding an end to coal and gas projects and for draconian anti-protest laws to be revoked. On Gadigal land in Sydney, more than 400 people marched on New South Wales Parliament on June 5, demanding urgent action. The protesters blockaded Macquarie Street, which is the road outside Parliament, for more than half an hour and heard powerful speeches from climate activists, First Nations campaigners and civil rights defenders. The rally was organised by the Sydney Climate Coalition and was endorsed by more than 50 organisations. In Geelong, the World Environment Day rally was joined by climate and anti-war activists opposing the AUKUS military alliance, which threatens the climate and nuclear waste devastation. Rally organiser Sarah Hathaway said we're facing a 50% chance of rising above 1.5 degrees within five years. And in the Mulumbimba Newcastle event, uh, was not actually a rally, but instead a vigil, which was commemorating the 226 people who will lose their lives every day due to climate change impacts. And the vigil was described as eerie and solemn, as 226 pairs of shoes were laid on the ground um, representing the people who will lose their lives, while passing coal trains uh, occasionally drowned out the speakers. Uh, the vigil was organised by Rising Tide Newcastle, who are also planning a two-day blockade of Newcastle Port in November. You can find out more at risingtide.org.au. Well, it's great to see climate action happening across the country. Many of the rallies highlighted that AUKUS, nuclear submarines and war are massive threats to the climate. So it was great to see Labour delegates in Queensland express their opposition to the military deal. Delegates at the Queensland Labour Conference in Menjin, Brisbane, voted against a motion to congratulate the federal government on AUKUS. Yeah, and at the same conference, uh, Electrical Trades Union or ETU delegates moved a successful motion calling for a ban on nuclear submarines entering Queensland's waters. And that move was congratulated by anti-war campaigners, including the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network, whose president, Annette Brownlee, told Green Left that IPAN congratulates the ETU Queensland slash Northern Territory for maintaining its historic work to keep Queensland nuclear free. It's good that we're seeing this growing anti-AUKUS and anti-war sentiment among rank-and-file Labor members and unionists. Let's hope this growing pressure from within make Labor reconsider its plans to drum up war against China and follow the United States into more pointless and destructive wars. 
Yeah, it really seems like a majority of people don't want to rush headfirst into another war. And this could be even further encouraged by the result of the defamation trial that was put against major media outlets by Defence Force poster boy Ben Robert Smith, who is Australia's most decorated soldier. Um, the court found that claims by the Age, Sydney Morning Herald and Canberra Times that Robert Smith was a war criminal, bully and domestic abuser were substantially true. And I'm not going to go through all the horrible things that he's allegedly committed because they're quite brutal and horrific and you can find all those details online. But it's good to see the truth prevail in this case and hopefully will mean that a criminal case is brought against him. But even now, journalists are trying to distinguish between his actions and the so-called brave actions of other SAS killers. Ultimately, the responsibility lies further up the chain with the Prime Minister and Cabinet officers who send men like Robert Smith to war for their own agenda. As the housing crisis worsens, people are taking drastic action to protect the few public homes we have left. With rents and house prices skyrocketing and Labor's future fund basically ineffective, it's down to activists and public housing tenants to defend their homes. There's an inspiring action happening here on Gadigal Land in Sydney, just down the road from where I'm recording, where housing activists are occupying a public housing estate, that's 82 Wentworth Park Road, Glebe, that's set to be demolished by the New South Wales government. There's 17 apartments sitting empty while homeless people sleep rough across the road. There's going to be a big housing for people not-for-profit rally on June 17, so make sure you get there and also go down to Wentworth Park over the next few days to show your solidarity with the campaign. It looks like a strong campaign and solidarity to all involved. Here in Nam, we are facing similar issues with public housing under threat of demolition, similar to the Wentworth Park Road site, the Barrack Beacon housing estate in Port Melbourne is under threat of demolition by Homes Victoria, and it's going to be replaced by private apartments with a small amount of social housing, although they're not really being very clear on what's actually going to be built there. And Margaret Kelly, one of the residents of Barrack Beacon, is putting up an incredible fight and recently organised a protest outside Victorian Parliament with public housing, everybody's business. Kelly and other activists have proposed a retain, repair, reinvest strategy to deal with the housing crisis, including um, substantially increasing public housing stock and defending current public homes. The campaign is holding weekly vigils on the steps of Victorian Parliament at 12pm on Thursdays until June 29th. So get down and show your support. And just a bit of sad news, they've actually started work on demolition so encourage people to get down to Barrack Beacon and you know even try and form a, a picket line and um, yeah just show your solidarity with Margaret and the other residents who are being pushed out of their homes. Yeah it's uh, terrible to hear they're starting um, demolition but it is inspiring to see that there are these campaigns popping up across the country uh, for defending public housing and solidarity to all the activists, residents and campaigners who are involved in those campaigns. Um, one thing that's become increasingly important uh, within the housing discussion is to distinguish between public, social and affordable housing, which are all these kind of different terms. Um, 
Firstly, I guess social housing, which is often used in the media, is actually an umbrella term that includes public and community housing. And so public housing is housing that's owned and managed by the government and you pay rent based on like a percentage of your income. Um, whereas community housing is managed privately by NGOs, charities, churches, and others, um, which is a form of privatization uh, with governments paying these kind of private organizations to manage the housing. Uh, affordable housing is uh, another thing as well, which is housing that's set uh, 20% below the market rate. Um, so say if a market rate for a house is $1,000, whatever, for an apartment a week, which is for the crazy prices that we're getting in Sydney, then it would be $800 for affordable housing. However, these this housing is only available to people un- earning under a certain amount. But if you look at the maths of it, if you're on that uh, income cap, so if you're earning below that amount that you can access affordable housing, then paying 20% below the market rate means you're still paying more than half of your income on rent, which is then therefore not affordable. Um, so that's why these campaigns are emphasizing public housing over community housing and affordable housing. And there's a great interview on the podcast feed, or you can find it on the Greenleaf YouTube channel with Peter Boyle from Socialist Alliance, who's exploring the origins of the housing crisis from a Marxist perspective and some real solutions to make housing for people instead of a commodity. Yeah, so check out that interview on the podcast feed or on the Greenleaf YouTube channel and website. While working class people struggle to afford basic necessities like housing, fuel and food, the rich continue to get richer. The latest Australian Financial Review Rich List has shown that the richest 200 Australians own $563 billion. The top 10 super rich have increased their wealth with mining giants Gina Reinhardt and Andrew Twiggy Forrest holding their positions as first and second richest. AFR pointed out that if the combined wealth of the first rich list from 1983 of $4.6 billion had grown based on average interest rates, it would be only around $15 billion. Marybeck Socialist Alliance councillor Sue Bolton has argued that councils should not cave in to pressure from the homophobic far right and cancel LGBTIQ gatherings and drag storytime events. A number of events aimed at promoting inclusivity in Victoria have been cancelled after threats from anti-LGBTIQ campaigners, including neo-Nazis, United Australia Party representatives and other far right groups. Bolton argues that the cancelling of these events is threatening free speech and that councils should actively show solidarity with vulnerable communities. She is planning to move a motion in Maryborough Council on June 20th that councils stand up to the far right and don't cancel these events. An overwhelming number of community and public service union or CPSU members have rejected the Australian Public Service Commission's paltry pay offer on June 1, which amounted to a 4% rise in the first year 3.5% in the second and 3% in the third. 86% of the 15,000 union members rejected the offer. Melissa Donnelly, who is the CPSU National Secretary, said that given the decade-long attack on public service employees' wages and conditions and the skyrocketing cost of living, it's abundantly clear that public service employees are looking for something better. 
The vote opens the way for a strong industrial campaign to demand a proper wage rise for federal public servants. I'm so glad that they rejected that terrible offer. In other news, the Australia-Cuba Friendship Society launched its Australia to Cuba with Love campaign in Mianjin's Botanical Gardens on June 3rd. Campaigners aim to help end the US blockade of Cuba and to raise money for medical equipment in Cuba by walking, cycling, dancing or running 14,886 kilometres, the distance between Australia and Cuba over eight weeks. Last year, more than 60 people helped raise more than $25,000 for medical equipment. Supporters can pledge money or sign up to participate online. We've been reporting on the crisis in Sudan driven by the war between the paramilitary rapid support forces and the Sudanese armed forces on the podcast over the last few weeks. And the Sudanese diaspora in Australia has been out on the street protesting, chanting no militia, no Burhan, peace and justice for Sudan at a solidarity rally in Mianjin on June 3. Abdel Fattah al-Burhan is the general leading the Sudanese armed forces and the rally was opened by four young women who were expressing the heartbreak and shock of the Sudanese community. One said that it's difficult to find the words to describe the circumstances and another said that home is now unrecognisable. You might have seen that Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi has been in Australia recently holding a Trump-like stadium rally for the Indian diaspora with Prime Minister Anthony Albanese making an appearance. But Modi is an authoritarian leader who has viciously targeted minority religious groups in India, supporting the rise of Islamophobic violence and targeted activists and journalists. On the podcast feed, we have an interview with Clifton Desario from the Communist Party of India Marxist-Leninist Liberation, who explains the rise of the Modi government and his aspiration to turn India into a Hindu supremacist fascist state, as well as the popular resistance and protest movements against his government. Desario is featured Desario is a featured speaker at the upcoming Eco-Socialism 2023, a World Beyond Capitalism conference that Green Left is hosting on July 1st and July 2nd. One of the panels he is addressing is about Modi's India, titled The Fight for Democracy in India, Is Modi Fascist? So check out the podcast interview and get your tickets for the conference at ecosocialism.org.au. And now let's hear what's happening around the world. The Bay du Nord oil project in Canada has been put on hold for at least three years in a massive win for environmentalists and indigenous communities who have been fighting the project, in particular the Micmore communities whose lands and oceans would have been under threat of oil spills, leaks and habitat destruction. Some believe the withdrawal of the project is a ploy to win more government funding for the project or to get the government to accept aspects of construction taking place elsewhere where labour is cheaper, but campaigners are hoping that the announcement mean the project is canned for good 
and prompts a rethinking of political economy along lines that prioritise the health and safety of ecosystems, indigenous and working class communities, and pursues a path that does not turn public funding over to destructive extractive industries. Over to Brazil, and Green Left's Federico Fuentes has spoken to Israel Dutra from the Brazilian Socialist Left Movement within the Socialism and Liberty Party, or PSOL. Dutra spoke about Brazilian President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva's peace proposal for the war in Ukraine. He has proposed a peace group composed of neutral countries to see if an end to the war can be negotiated. Dutra details how Lula has a contradictory role on the international scene, promoting multilateralism and relations between global South countries as part of a vision for world peace and democracy, while at the same time not doing enough to support left-wing governments in Latin America, and even supporting the right-wing coup government in Peru with weapons. Dutra argues that negotiations to end the war are necessary and inevitable, but any plan that seeks to force Ukraine to capitulate would be regressive. Read the full interview at Links International Journal of Socialist Renewal, which you can find at links.org.au. Eco-Socialism 2023 at Well Beyond Capitalism is coming up on the weekend of July 1st and 2nd in Nam at Victorian Trades Hall. The first day will open at 10am with a panel titled Fight Climate Change, Not War, featuring international and local climate and anti-war activists. Then at 2pm, keynote speaker Kohei Saito will speak via video link on Towards the Idea of Degrowth Communism. Throughout the day, there will also be workshops and panels on Fighting for West Papua Today, Freedom vs. Fortress, a conversation with Beirut's Buchani, Imperialism in the 21st Century, Unions, Politics and How We Fight for Change, Class Struggle in Southeast Asia, Climate Action, Market Mechanisms and Economic Myths, Woman, Life, Freedom, the ideas that inspired the Rojava Revolution and the popular uprising in Iran, and Queer Liberation for All Opposing the Trans Hysteria. The second day will begin with sessions on Myanmar's Spring Revolution and the Rohingya Genocide, Capitalism in Crisis, Patriarchy and the Origins of Women's Oppression, and Climate Justice and the Global South. The fight for democracy in India is Modi Fascist starts at 11.30am and there will be sessions on artificial intelligence, capitalism and liberation, caste and class in India today, relevance of Marxism for the 21st century, fighting for First Nations justice and sovereignty, and the final panel on reconceptualizing revolution in the age of the climate emergency at 4pm. Yeah, check out the full agenda, including who's speaking at each panel and more information on each session at ecosocialism.org.au. Ecosocialism is open to anyone who wants to learn about progressive ideas and be part of the fight for a better world. So get your tickets today. And Green Left runs on people power. We don't accept corporate donations or advertising, so we do need your support to continue. You can become a supporter for only $5 a month and it's only $10 a month to get the hard copy paper delivered to your door. You can also donate to our 2023 Fighting Fund, which will help us make more content like this. Go to greenleft.org.au slash support to help us out. And remember to follow Green Left on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok for the latest news and analysis. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.